Don't make the assumption that you control your life. When it's all over, what matters most? What's most important about you? What's most important about your journey down here? What's most important about your life? Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lawrence. Crawford has been in Christian ministry for most of his adult life. He and his wife Karen served for 27 years with Campus Crusade for Christ. He recently retired as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Crawford now serves as president and founder of Beyond Our Generation, a Christian leadership mentoring ministry. Well, last week we concluded an insightful series called Supernatural, looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Today we begin a brand new series that looks at God's church and how we're to function within it. Hope you can stay with us. Our text is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Colossians chapter 1. Let's jump right in. Here's Crawford Loritz on Living a Legacy. I've entitled the series His Church. Uh, there are two companion books about the church uh, in, in the New Testament. One is Ephesians, the other one is Colossians. Ephesians speaks of the church as being the body of Christ, and the book of Colossians speaks of the church as Christ being the head of his body. And so it's about the headship of the body, uh, the, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just, a, just a, a little word about the background of the book of Colossians. It's a very interesting book in the sense that uh, uh, this, this book uh, is written by Paul to a group of people that he never met. Paul never met the Colossians. Uh, he didn't plant the church. Uh, and yet, as you read the book, particularly the section that we're going to get into in a few moments, you see the tenderness and affection of Paul for this church. Uh, what happened was that Paul had a co-worker by the name of Epaphras. And Epaphras is the one that started the church there at Colossae. And so Paul is in prison when Epaphras comes to visit him while Paul is in prison. And Epaphras shares such a glowing report about the church at Colossae that it just deeply moved the apostle Paul. Uh, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, right in there, talks about the report that, that, that Epaphras gave. And then at the end, uh, the end of chapter 4, when he's giving his farewells, you'll see Epaphras' name there and how dear uh, Epaphras had the church of Colossae in his heart. But he shares about their faith and love. And it so gripped Paul that he was just elated. And he started praying for these people regularly. And there was so much on his heart that he picks up his pen, and though he never met them, he didn't plant the church, but he just heard such a glowing report that he writes them this letter just to encourage their hearts about Christ being, being the head of the church. Now, I'm not going to walk through verses 1 through 8. I'll allude to that in a moment. But I want to I camp on verses 9 through 14. Now, admittedly, I believe I preached this passage here at the church some time ago, and, uh, but I've changed it up a little bit. Uh, I, I started to skip over the section and just summarize it because I had preached on it before, but then uh, uh, it hit me, no, this is so core to the text and it's so core to the book of Colossae that I need to camp in this right now. And by the way, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to do this every day this week. I would encourage you to read the book of Colossians every day this week. Now, it's a short book. 
It's only four chapters, and you read in like seven, ten minutes or so. But I encourage you to read it. And what I want you to do today, however, is to carve out some time, a few minutes, and I want to encourage you to read the book on your knees today, particularly praying this prayer. This is an extraordinary prayer that Paul prays for them. And so I've entitled the first message here, it's on Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, I've entitled the message, What Matters Most? Don't make the assumption that you control your life. When it's all over, what matters most? What's most important about you? What's most important about your journey down here? What's most important about your life? This one life that you have. Paul picks up his pen and he, he, he begins to articulate this prayer that he's been praying for them. In verse 9, I, I need to describe because he describes what matters most in verse 9. And verses 10 through 14 is just an explanation of what matters most in verse 9. In fact, verses 10 through 14 gives us the three dominant things that this one request, if yielded to, will produce in our lives. Listen to what he says in verse 9. He says, and so from the day we heard, now we heard is reflective of what Epaphras told him up in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And so from the day we heard of your faith and love, we have not ceased to pray for you. It's amazing. Paul never met these folks, but he was so deeply moved by their level of commitment to Jesus Christ and to his lordship in their lives then he began praying regularly. He said, I've not ceased to pray for you. I don't think Paul prayed for them, you know, constantly throughout the day, but I think when he prayed regularly, he prayed for them. Have not ceased to pray for you, asking, now here you have it. What does he ask for? He doesn't ask that they're, they're known throughout Asia Minor. He doesn't ask that they're developed into a mega church. He doesn't ask that they'll be flush with cash. He doesn't ask for their strategic goals and objectives to be translated into reality. What does he pray for? What is the one thing Paul prays for? Listen to this. He says, asking that you may be filled with a knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. <laughs> he says, the thing that will make the difference in your life is the will of God. I am praying, now notice, notice, notice how he expansively modifies the will. He says, I am praying that you might be filled with a knowledge of his will. Now, don't miss those words. He didn't say that you might be interested in what God wants you to do, that in part of your life you might reflect that, but he says, I'm praying that you might be filled with a knowledge of his will. Now, the word filled was used of, of cargo ships setting sail there in, in, uh, in the Mediterranean. 
loaded and packed to the brim with cargo. No wasted space. It's sort of like our, 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 our oldest daughter. She and her two were with us, our, our grandkids, they were with us for Christmas, and um, they drove back on uh, New Year's Day to Memphis, and so we're loading up her car. And when I look at all the stuff that she's gonna put in that car, I say, ain't no way. I said, you wanna keep the kids here, and we'll mail them, we'll FedEx them back to, I said, there's no way, you're gonna get all the stuff. She said, Dad, I can do this. I said, all right, this ain't my first rodeo. And lo and behold, she did it. <laughs> I mean, it just nooks and just everything loaded up. And I said, look, you don't even need airbags. Somebody hit the car, this stuff will just cushion them. <laughs> so it was, it was loaded. What does he mean by filled? Filled. What he's saying is, is that, hear me, hear me on this, hear me on this. What he's saying is that your life will be the expression in everything of the will of God. That essentially your life is the will of God. Not that you're interested in it, but that your life is the will of God. Now notice, notice he says, he says, I want you to be filled with a knowledge of his will. The word knowledge, and I promise you, I don't, I don't mean to get this, I don't want to get sidetracked and all this granular detail here, but it's the word epigenosis, which is, which means, it, 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 it's, it's a word for knowledge that do, does not mean intellectual content or the assessment of facts or getting your cranium full of these things. No, it's a word for knowledge that is experiential knowledge. He said, I am praying for you that your life will be the will of God, that you will experience that will. Now notice how he modifies that. He says, he says that you experience that will, how? With all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You and I can never know the will of God without giving ourselves to his spiritual resources. Now, don't get me wrong, fine, I think it's wonderful to take personality profile tests, I think that's great. It's good to know how you're wired, it's good to know what you're good at, it's good to get feedback from other people, external stuff, but that won't tell you anything about the will of God. Some of us make the terrible assumption that I do my Myers-Briggs and I do the disc test and I do these other things and I have all these factors that will set me up to understanding, well, this is what you ought to do. I'm not saying that God doesn't necessarily use those things. I think they are very helpful, but that doesn't determine God's will. God does not lead primarily through those instruments. He leads primarily through spiritual means. That means the word of God. That means prayer. That means seeking his face. God will sometimes tell you to do things that you're not wired to do. God will lead you to do stuff that you weren't educated to do. God, oh, yeah, I, mean, I, I could give you testimony. I don't have enough time here, but, but he will sometimes do that. So what Paul is saying is, I, I, want, you, I want you to get beyond what you personally can access and evaluate. I want you to know something that only God can teach you and show you. And I want you to know it. 
and be committed to it. Then he says that there are three dominant results. There are three things that the will of God will produce in your life. When you have yielded to, submitted to, relinquish ownership of your life, you have submitted all that you are to being and doing what God has called you to be and to do and to follow his will ruthlessly, what will happen to you? These three dominant results, and I used to, I, years ago I preached this passage and I thought that they were just uh, the grocery list of, of things that Paul was praying for. No, 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 no. Basic English grammar. The one request is verse 9. Everything else is a result, and the results are introduced to us by the expression so as in verse 10. So as. I'm praying for you. Specifically, I'm asking that you, your life is the expression of the will of God. That you know it. Well, what will happen? This is what will happen. Um, for the sake of time, let me just point out the three dominant expressions here, and then we'll put some meat on the skeleton. The first dominant expression is found in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy. The second dominant expression is found in verse 11, being strengthened. And the third dominant expression is given to us in the opening line of verse 12, giving thanks. So if I would put that together, the three things that he says that will take place in our lives, when we give ourselves completely, we're all in with the will of God. We make the decision that my life is to be the expression of your will while I'm here. I yield to it. I don't tell you how to use me. I don't tell you what you have to do through me. I yield to it. He says, that will produce, God will produce these things in your, three things in your earth. Number one, godly character. Number two, supernatural resilience. And number three, eternal gratitude. These are products. These are products of surrender to the will of God. And it's interesting that Paul begins this letter by saying, when you say uncle, when you're all in, when you stop telling God that you have to come alongside of me and affirm and validate what I want to do for you. And God says, no, that's jacked up, man. No, 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 you come over here and let me tell you what I want to do through you. And when you yield to that, this is what's going to happen. So the very first thing that takes place is, number one, he says, when you're filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as, number one, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. By that, he's talking about godly character. That's what's going to happen to you. When you submit to the will of God, you surrender to it. Now, I, I can get into a bunny trail here because I, I'm wrestling with this. This is a whole series within itself. You see, the will of God is the word of God, but also the will of God is the existential leading of the spirit of God. But the spirit of God will never lead you to do anything outside of the word of God. And so, so Connecting the dots, the Word of God will produce character change in your life. You're submitted to this book. If you say you're, if you say you're yielded to the will of God, but you're not obeying this book, you, hey, let me just say it, you're lying. 
You're not committed to the will of God if you don't want to do what this book says. And so when you're yielded, when you're yielded to the will of God, it means that you're submissive to whatever God wants and what he said in your life, not to cherry pick what we want. It's not an a la carte thing, man. You, you're all in. And so this produces godly character. So she says, so that you may walk. Uh, this, <laughs> that's the Greek word peripateo. It means to tread or trample about. So it's your daily life. We characterize by, by the weight of God. Now the expression, you know, this whole idea of a genuine knowledge of Christ and his will, it, it, it's going to reveal itself in change. Change, change. And the will of God largely has to do with his wisdom applied to living, and not simply wisdom applied to knowledge. See, the will of God, that's what makes it transformative. It's wisdom applied to living, not just wisdom applied to knowledge. That's the reason why you can have guys with PhDs in theology and they're just as carnal as the day is long. They may have great insights, they may have great understanding, they may have great knowledge, but if that knowledge is not, it's not applied to my life, it's not applied to my heart, there is no transformation. You just have accurate content. So Paul is praying. <laughs> you might walk in, he says, I'm praying for you to be filled with knowledge as well, Why? so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now the word worthy, just check this out, it means of equal weight. Oh boy, this is, this is breathtaking to me. Of equal weight. Connect the dots. When, we're, when, we're, when our lives are yielded to the will of God, and I want God to express all that he has in store for me in and through me during my moment in history, he says that my daily life will carry about the very weight of God. That is amazing. That supernatural resources will typify my life. That the resources of heaven flow through people who are lined up with doing what what God wants. Some of our powerlessness has to do with misalignment. We're not experiencing his resources because we're not yielding our will to his. But we want his resources. You want my resources? Do what I tell you to do. You yield. And your daily life, the daily concourses of your life will carry with it the very resources of heaven. It, it, it's, it's what, oh my goodness. I, I, I did a study years ago. Do a study of all the great callings of God in the Bible. And you find this to be so. Wherever God calls someone to do something and they yield to do it, God promises his very nature, his very presence, his very resources with them. I'll just pick on Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, he had the task of leading two and a half million Israelites into the, in the land of Canaan. Moses had died. He's intimidated by all this stuff. And, and God says to Joshua, God himself said to Joshua, Joshua, hold, hold up, man. You actually think I'm going to tell you to do something and I give you what you need to do it? Who's talking to you? And so he says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. 
The manifest presence of God is always with those who do his will. Why? Because, because his will is about his statement personalized through your life during your moment in history. That's why the will of God is important. So, our daily concourse of life is marked by supernatural resources. But this, this expression, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it also implies not only do we have his resources, but we have his nature. Worthy of the, the weight of God, we have his nature. The nature of God, God's nature is expressed in and through our lives. It's not just his resources, but his character. Not just what he has, but who he is. You see, this is is all a part of a journey. It says our lives reflect both his holiness and his power. Both his power and his holiness. See, so on your way to doing something, you're becoming something. The will of God is not just about us being more effective at what we were wired to do and this kind of thing and look how else. No, 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 no. The will of God, you cannot separate his effectiveness through your life and the character that he wants to develop in you. You can't do it. And yet we try it all the time. This is the reason why I tell younger leaders all the time, all the time, all the time, yes, know your gifts. Yes, it's important. Know your background. Know, know your motivated, applied patterns and all that kind of stuff. Know it, know it, know it, know it. Now put it aside for a second, buddy. Because let me tell you something. Over the course of your life, you'll never accomplish more than who you are. It is who you are that gives weight and integrity to what you do. Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. What Matters Most, the title of today's message, based on Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. We'll get to the second half of this message next week. Crawford just launched a brand new series called His Church, and we're finding some great challenge and encouragement from the Apostle Paul on living out the will of God internally and externally. We hope you'll plan on joining us all throughout the series. We're so grateful for your emails. They help us know how God is using the broadcast each week. Dorothy recently wrote, My hometown Christian radio station introduced me to the teachings of Crawford Loretz. He has a bold, brilliant way to reach hearts on every level. I'm given truth from a perspective I hadn't considered. I feel empowered and excited to go out into a dark world because of his unique style and passion of preaching. I am so thankful for technology that lets me listen again and again. Thank you for all you do. And here's one from Melinda. Just wanted to let you know how much I was taught and blessed by your series on the Holy Spirit. It's essential to our living this Christian life. We cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. Well, Melinda and Dorothy, we appreciate your emails so much. Now, here's that address, legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. Crawford will be speaking at a men's retreat at Camp of the Woods in New York in September. Check out the camp website, cotw.org, for more information. Well, thanks for being with us today. For Dr. Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.